Welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, I have Evelyn Brink, who is a specialist in coaching senior executives and leaders, business owners, into how to use video effectively. And in fact, Evelyn's been helping me for the last few months, and you may have noticed a slightly more professional glint to my videos. So Evelyn, could you do a quick introduction of your history and what qualifies you to educate people on using video? <laughs> Hello, first of all, and thank you so much for having me here. Pleasure. So the reason I coach senior executives now on camera is that my personal background is coaching and entertainment. I've been on stage for over 20 years, and I'm not unfamiliar to the cameras myself. I've been best known as a Madonna impersonator traveling the globe back in the entertainment days, but I've also written songs and performed in one-woman shows. So being on stage is something that I've always been very happy to do. I thought I was going to be really big on camera and I found out that actually working with a camera was much harder than I thought. And it took me 10 years, if I'm really honest, I'm still blushing a bit saying that, <laughs> to kind of crack it, even though I was a, a trained actress. And I've also been coaching for, well, 19 years now. So at some point I had this epiphany moment where I thought, let's put two and two together and help senior leaders how to express themselves. A, of course, in the boardroom doing presentations, but I've seen so much presentation training already. And so this is where the epiphany came. I can help you come alive on camera because it's something that I struggled with, even though you think I'm so trained at it because I know how to be in front of people. And then the coaching skills allow me to work with people who really think that it's not for them at all. Excellent. Well, one of the things that I've realized working with you is that it's all well and good being an authority in your subject matter. But if you don't engage other human beings, then you're going to end up with a very limited audience and it's probably going to miss the mark. So let's deal with this whole piece around vulnerability first, because I know a lot of people are really resistant to being vulnerable on camera. Can you explain why it's important? I love it. You just dive into the deep end there. So vulnerability is the connecting material between a stranger and a stranger. It is what makes to turn strangers into friends. Think about it the other way. If you are really close with someone, that's when you share vulnerably. So when we use the camera to engage an audience and we never show any vulnerability. We are also not creating connection. The magic in video, meaning that the magic in getting new people to engage with you and learn to know, like, and trust you is to build connection. So I can stand here for two hours and talk about connection, or we can create it. And the way to create it is to show up vulnerably. So you share something that you know feels a bit like a secret, like something you don't really want everyone to know. For example, like for me, there was shame in the truth that I found it difficult to be in front of the camera because I'm, I know, I'm such a, if you meet me, I'm a very extrovert person. So you'd think that this stuff would be easy. So it wasn't. So I was embarrassed about it. And we're embarrassed about things. We don't want it to be seen because we don't want to appear less than what we see ourselves, et cetera, PP. Now, when I can share something, say, look, I struggled with this, then my audience can also relax a little bit and go, well, we struggle with stuff too. The whole conversation becomes a bit more real. It's really interesting because when you think about the haptics of the telephone, for example, you don't let someone whisper into your ear if they're a total stranger. 
But people quite happily put a phone to their ear and allow people to enter into that personal space. And I think what your point about helping people to feel comfortable with you, human being to human being, is really key. What I'm also really interested in is the uh, self-concept piece, because I think a lot of people hate the sound of their own voice. They don't like how they look on camera. So how do you advise your clients to deal with that inner voice that's telling them that they're going to look stupid, that they don't look good, that they put on 10 pounds on camera? In my case, about 100. <laughs> well, I work with a, a team of highly professional cosmetic surgeons. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who know me, I am the final product of that highly successful. Yes, you are my successor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that you bring this up. So how do we deal with those inner voices? This is where laughter comes in and comedy comes in. So I find one thing that's super useful is to name the demons and bring it out. Number one, we need to be honest enough and daring enough to even say that we're feeling uncomfortable about certain things. Then we can dig in a little bit about what is it exactly that you don't like about your voice? What, what is it? So number one, naming the demon is fabulous. And number two, then we want to liberate ourselves from the hold that it can have. When you start being able to actually voice what the problem is, it already loses quite a lot of power. Now, what we're talking about right now, it's quite deep work. And that's the beautiful thing. that It's something that can be best done in a safe space. So I don't like dishing out generic advice. That's why I don't have lots of online courses. But I help you be confident in three steps. doesn't quite work like that. Because also everybody's inner voice has a different kind of hold of them. So I'd want to find out what's going on for you before I give out a generic advice. But what can be already said is, when we learn to laugh about the things that we hold in fear and shame, there's a deep sense of liberation that can come out. That's number one. Number two, sometimes there's a reason you don't like your voice. It could be that it sounds really crap. In that case, I'm not going to spend all my time working psychologically on you accepting that your voice sounds crap. I'm going to help you make sure that your voice resonates more in your body. And that's possible. It's called voice training. And I recommend everyone who is a mouthpiece of a company or even if it's your own company, everyone who's a communicator should know how to handle the instrument, the human voice. So one of the tra things that I train is how to use that voice and make it sound good. I have to say that really surprised me because uh, I thought, yeah, I, I had doubts about the quality of my voice. But uh, working with Evelyn, I've been able to dramatically increase the level of resonance, the volume with less effort by going through a series of vocal exercises. And you do feel a bit of a schmuck, to be perfectly honest, when you first start doing them. And you probably don't want to do them with an audience. Although they may find it quite entertaining. <laughs> but loosening up the muscles of the lips, the mouth, the back of the throat, the chest, loosening your neck, loosening your shoulder, shoulders, it has been incredibly powerful. And if you listen to the quality of some of my more recent videos compared with some of the earlier videos. The tonality has got, or the pitch has come up a bit. There's a great deal more resonance. There's more emphasis on certain consonants. And as a result of that, it's clearer, less rushed. So I can't stress how important this aspect is, although you may not want to go through it. So much like going to the gym, 
These are exercises that it, are worth practicing on a regular basis and getting proficient at so that when you're in the car driving over to do a talk or before you do a podcast or whatever, then make sure that you've gone through the process of warming up your vocal cords, warming up your tongue. Because your tongue, it was really surprised me just how much of a difference stretching the tongue had in terms of the tonality and your ability to project. So if you want to control a room in terms of your presentation, it's incredibly important to control your voice. So Evelyn, tell me this. Can you give some examples of some of the tips that you might give people? And I'm willing to be a victim in terms of practicing them. I love it. What a great idea. I was just listening to you speak and I thought, wait, well, Marcus, you're such a good advertiser. You summarize things so well. So yeah, I'm more than happy to do an exercise or two. And I think it's really important what you just said about this is not something that we do in front of an audience, but it really helps you get a seat on public transport. and also if you're a woman walking home at night and you're afraid of men being behind you just start doing those exercises and you'll find that there's a beautiful distance clearing between you and any fellow passenger (laughs) i also noticed that it is difficult for people to do this at home alone in the beginning because it's so unfamiliar which again is why regular coaching sessions can be very helpful Because once you get used to it and you know what the benefits are, you'll just start doing this. You won't want to miss out on it. So here's a a couple of top hacks. We're going to do some hacks rather than the deep work because we don't have that much time. And I know, Marcus, this is one that worked really well for you. Is when we uh, stretch the tongue out and look a bit like a lion, like this. Very attractive work. And then what we do is we say a sentence with our tongue out. And actually what we're going to do now is we're going to stretch the middle part of the tongue out. So this was small tongue. In order to stretch the middle part of the tongue out, you take the tip of your tongue behind the bottom teeth and then stretch the middle part forward. So it looks like this. And from the side, I did. <laughs> For those of you who are listening in audio, effectively the middle of your tongue is pushed out while the tip of the tongue is behind your teeth. And you put the middle of the tongue out, and then you say a sentence. So, Evelyn, far away. Let's have a sentence. What are we going to say? It is important to train your voice, so that's what I'm going to say. A quick round clock jumped over the lazy dog. It's very important to train your voice. It's very important to train your voice. Say the thing about the frog again. A quick round clock. Brilliant. So now let's bring it back in and say the sentence, those two sentences without the tongue in there. It's important to train your voice. The quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. Oh my God, did you guys just hear the difference? (laughs) (laughs) So how does that feel? What's the difference you feel? Because we all heard it unless we have no ears. It it feels a lot looser and... Interestingly enough, there's kind of like a muscle ache, you know, lag in the side of the tongue, which clearly means that I need more practice because um, it shouldn't happen after just one exercise. <laughs> but now I've been found out. <laughs> busted you right here on your own podcast. Mm. So the sound became much more resonant and it, was, it took much less effort to make it. And yeah. that's really important for two reasons. Number one, it sounds, your voice sounded warmer and we hear you more. 
But if you have less effort producing it, it means you can also speak for longer. And this is something that's really important for the senior leaders and people who are already on stage. You need to be able to speak better for longer. It's, there's no good holding a workshop if you lose your voice in the middle of it or at the end of it. So using less effort is key for that. Plus, it just feels really good if you don't have to work so hard, right? Absolutely. I was watching Have I Got Some More News for You last night, and there was that terrible speech that Theresa May did where she kept losing her voice. Perhaps she could have done with some help. Can you give a couple more tips in terms of exercises that people can use in order to project more effectively? Well, a lot of the projection stuff is when we use the whole body and jump up and down, if you remember well. Sometimes I have Marcus sit on his, he has this beautiful exercise ball and he he jumps up and down that kind of gets the sound nice in the tummy. Now, given that we're not going to do this right now, let's uh, imagine you're on the ball so that you have that flexibility underneath you. And if you give me a a ha sound whereby your belly is bouncing. Uh, I'm going to just stand up here for a second. Beautiful. And then out of the ha, we can go into a hey. I'll, t- I'll, I'll demonstrate. Hey. 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 Yes. Try yes. Yes is a good one. Yes. 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 Beautiful. So what this does is it brings the sound into your body. And that is something that a lot of very intellectually educated, trained people forget. We're not just walking heads. We have a body. And it helps with our voice. It helps us amplify the sound of our voice. So when we embody the tone, more voice comes out. Again, it feels like less effort, but also it has the sound come more alive. And so what that does is it also gives you more presence. And that is huge, especially when you're presenting, especially when you're communicating a position of authority. You want that presence. And if you can have it in your voice and body, you win. If you don't have it in your voice and body, you can say the most clever things you want. We're just not really going to buy into it the same way because it just doesn't have the same gravitas. So in terms of pace, because that's another very important piece, because I see... A lot of videos that I don't click, I stay on for for very long. When they rush, they garble their words. It's difficult to understand them. They feel like they're putting themselves under pressure. To make a point, if you are using video on platforms like LinkedIn, if you don't have a certain dwell time where people are watching the video, then you don't even get a view scored against it. Now, views aren't that important, the engagement is. But if people don't get past three seconds, then you have a problem. So talk to me about the pace that people need to speak at. I happily will talk to you about pace. Don't be too slow, but also don't be too fast. So... Really important point about the view, it's very unlikely people are going to engage if they're not viewing. So viewing first, engagement follows naturally from that. What needs to happen for people to engage with us? One is the way that you present the content and the second is the content itself. I think the main piece is that a lot of people look really and feel really uncomfortable on camera. And 
what I like to say is that when the red light goes on, your stuff comes up. So all the stuff that you hold in, the stuff that you don't like about yourself will come up when that red light goes on. Oh, you speak to a lens. Nowadays, there's not that many red lights, to be honest. So what happens in humans is when they have stuff they want to cover up, they compensate in some way. And one of it is to speak really fast as if I just want to get through it really quickly. Like if I get to the end, then it's going to be okay. So I'm just going to cover my nose by speaking really quickly and telling myself I'm adding a lot of value, very little time because I don't have so much time. But what that does is disengages your viewer because it's stressful. It's stressful to watch someone being uncomfortable. In other people, the same problem manifests by speaking too slow. Hello. Welcome. I made a video for you. I've already had enough. <laughs> uh, you want to go, right? I think, unless this is a meditation. And even then, it's like, you haven't helped me meditate yet. So you want to find a place that's comfortable, so that we know you are comfortable, but also that lets your viewer know we're going somewhere here. I'm not going to waste that, especially LinkedIn, because there's still differences between a platform like Facebook and LinkedIn. But LinkedIn, people are there for business. So I need to know that you're going to give me something of value here. So your tone of voice should also transmit that. And also your pace needs to be somewhere in the middle where I hear what you're saying, but there will be a break for me to catch up with your words. Does that make sense, Marcus? Absolutely. Again, when you're putting together your content, I think one big mistake I see people make, and I've certainly been guilty of it myself in the past, is putting in too much. The maximum less is more really does have value here because I think you can give away too much. People's attention will rapidly diminish if you're giving too much information. And unless you're running a webinar, keep those videos relatively short. Stick to one or two particular themes. Don't try and feed them from the fire hose, which, again, I think is um, something that happens an awful lot. Why is it that people's attention is relatively limited, even if they are interested in the subject matter? <laughs> Lovely question. So people's attention is limited full stop because we are busy. We have things to do. I have a full day of work. Why am I on LinkedIn? Maybe I'm looking for something. Maybe I just need to distract myself quickly. Maybe I want to make sure that I'm seeing that I'm doing better than you right now. There might be some insecurities in my life coming up. Whatever it is, I don't have a lot of time for you here. That's a fact. We don't have a lot of time for your video. We don't have a lot of time to hear your stuff unless we have subscribed to your thing, we already know the status that you hold in my industry and we already know that what you're going to tell me is gold. Then I suddenly have a lot of time. But in a LinkedIn video, your job is to show me why I should listen. In other words, you need to sell to me the idea that listening to you is worth my time. So the attention span is really short. The other thing that we need to always bear in mind is that people are rude. They're rude behind the screen. If you were in a meeting face-to-face -face with someone and that person was disengaging, they would do it slowly and politely like this. <sighs> they would still probably have eye contact with you, but then maybe look away a little bit and eventually you get, you'd get the idea. Behind the screen, there is no politeness. There's simply just like, Ugh, yeah, whatever, click, and you're gone. So we're becoming very impatient. We're fed with so much noise. Like my, I'll be honest with you, my attitude when I watch something, the first thing I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> that's my, okay, what? Because the video comes on. I'm that's just, your teenage, Evelyn. That's my teenage coming out. Okay, what are you going to tell me? 
So if you catch my attention out of that bad attitude and I'm watching you, you've done something really well. What is it that you've done? You will have gotten me curious. And the way that you do that is, so number one, of course, with the way that you are being in front of the camera, you have a relaxed manner, you're showing me that you have something important to share. And number two, structurally, it's great if you're telling me what you're going to give to me in this video. Uh, and maybe even up my curiosity by telling me, not even saying the exact thing, but covering a little bit. So for example, you could say, hi, this is Evelyn Brink. And in this video, I'm going to share with you the one key that's going to help you use your voice with much less effort. And when you know how to use it, you'll be able to speak for better, better for longer. But if you don't know how to use it, you might well run out of sound before your seminar is over. So now you're going like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Because our mind engages with something that we don't quite understand. So that's one little technique of getting curiosity, curiosity going. You can also crack a joke if that's your nature. If it's not your nature, I recommend not to. So at the front end, tell them what's coming and bait the hook. There's also a lot of talk about how one should use calls to action. And traditionally, the call to action comes at the end, but you've given me a really good tip. Do you mind sharing that? Traditionally, the call to actions comes at the end because we're coming from a letter format, you know, giving you lots of value in the end. I've given you so much, I'm asking for something or I'm telling you what to do. In video, you don't have the luxury of that time because most people will drop off after a few seconds. So after you engage them, hook them, you need to give your first call to action. And it, it should be a very small thing. You know, don't say buy my product right after you've introduced yourself. That's not a good idea. But you can give a small call to action. And then what you want to do is, is give content. Give some really valuable content along the lines of what you've promised me, please. And then give your second call to action in the middle. And then give some more content. And then you can give me another call to action at the end. So there are a couple of reasons why this is important. Number one, as I said, you lose most of your views in the beginning anyway. So get it in there while you can. If they were interested enough to do something, they might just skip ahead. It's, it's been quite a lot of times when somebody was talking about relevant content. I just didn't have the time to listen to his whole spiel. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I want it. What is it? Tell me where to get it. Like, so I was grateful that I didn't have to watch the whole video and I took action straight away. So that's why it can work. The other thing to remember is people need to hear things repeatedly to take action, especially nowadays. Because people work a little bit like my seven-year-old son. You tell him to clean his room once, nothing will happen. You tell him to clean his room twice, nothing will happen. But at the third time, he might start picking up a piece of underwear. So calls to action repeatedly, you know, is something that just tends to work better than just saying it once and then said, well, I've said it. <laughs> I sent you an email. <laughs> Two weeks ago. Like, hello. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's have a think about lighting then, because again, a lot of videos are horrifically lit. This one being a case in point on my end. Yours is obviously substantially better. But what tips would you give around lighting? Lighting's a great one. So let's just establish first what we're doing with a video. At the moment, we're talking about using a video to bring a business message across. And most videos horrible for a lot of reasons and one of them being the lighting but there is a sort of thing that says casual does very well show us the behind the scenes show us where you're at home like don't make it look professional 
And that's what used to get a lot of traction for a while. And I want to debunk that myth now. I think we're over that. I think we're over the time where, I mean, we can afford to look crap on video, yes. But I have high expectations of the people I want to work with. So lighting is a great way to up the way that your video looks and also probably the way you feel in, in doing it by using some nice lighting. It's not hard. Here's the top tip. You get yourself a, um, a soft light. I'm going to show you mine here. For those of you on audio, you're just going to see a white soft box. It doesn't even cost very much. And you balance out the light that are coming in. So right now it's daytime, so we have quite bright sunshine on this side of the window. So I had to put the curtains down. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to see my face. I'd be overlit. Because the light's on one side, there would be shadow from the other. I'm going to turn the light off now. You can see the difference. There you go. So you have a sharp contrast. And that's why you just want a little light on the side. It gives you a brighter view. There's also something called a ring light that I sometimes have in front of me. That's brilliant, especially if you're worried about um, wrinkles and, and aging because it makes you look younger. So I love that light, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little hard on the eyes if you're doing a lot of video in the day. Anyway, I don't think that's the most important thing when you do video. I think it's more important that you know how to conduct yourself, how to get your voice out, how to get a message across. But if you're thinking of using this professionally, invest 30 pounds in a light. Hang out loud. Marcus, what's the deal? Why don't you have one there right now? Because I'm a terrible student. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about posture. In fairness, I have uh, you and Mark come along and you do it all for me when we're doing live videos. So, But tell me this. Let's talk about posture. We've already talked about people's shame and embarrassment and how that affects their voice and their ability to project. What other aspects of posture do people need to be aware of that they're probably just unconsciously allowing to drift in to their body posture that will affect the quality of their voice, the quality of their delivery? This is all the stuff that you learned in school. Sit up straight. Don't let your shoulders hang, but also don't put them up to your ears. It's the, it's the classic stuff, right? So, What's important to know is that the muscles are very connected. So the muscles of your shoulders are connected to the muscles of your neck, are connected to the muscles of your larynx. So when you have a lot of tension in your shoulders and your neck, it will affect your voice. So therefore, when we do the voice training, if we do one-to-one -one work in person, I get my hands on your shoulders and I help you see how that feels when they actually relax down. If we're working over the internet, then you can also put your hand on your shoulder and just give it a, let it melt down a little into your, into your back. We do quite a little bit of work on relaxing the neck muscles. And Marcus, I remember you had quite a strong reaction. It had a strong effect on you when we did that. Do you want to talk yeah. about the difference it made when we did the... Uh, absolutely. So what you do is you turn your head towards your right shoulder and then you put your hand on your, the muscle of your jawbone and then push against it. And then let go. And actually, you just uh, combine two exercises there because one is to look over the shoulder like this, like Marcus was just demonstrating. And one with the muscle works really well when the head is straight. If you look straight, then you put your front and then press against it. There we go. And then let go. And then turn your head again. You will immediately feel the difference in rotation. I reckon I've probably got another 10 or 15 degrees of rotation just off the back of doing that. And you can feel it in the neck. You can feel it in the upper back. 
And it's a remarkably simple exercise to do and very relaxing and also affects the quality of the voice. So, and this is the beautiful thing. It affects the quality of the voice and again, affects the way that you feel comfortable and like you've arrived in your own body. And what that does, it's to your viewer. I cannot stress this point enough that if you are not comfortable in yourself, your viewer can't be comfortable watching you. Therefore, they don't really want to hang around for too long. You get reflected back what you project out. So if you're tense, your viewer will be tense. If you're not happy with what you're doing, they'll feel uncomfortable for you. And let's face it, no one really wants the person on stage to corpse. They actually want them to be successful because it's excruciatingly uncomfortable for the audience. Whatever the, the performer is feeling, the audience is cringing inside. Yeah, so we don't want that. And why are we using video? Now, of course, we're all thinking about having more clients and having more business from the video, which is a great goal and absolute possibility. It's a fantastic way to scale your business and let the video work, you know, 24-7. It can work for you whilst you do other things. Great idea. And in reality, the, the first thing it's going to do for you is it's going to establish expert status because you've been seen. Like sometimes, it, I, I love it when I, I meet colleagues, they go, I'm so excited to see you because I keep seeing you. On, you know, on video, or like my friend says, it's like that's Eve from the telly. Because people don't watch as much telly anymore; they watch the videos on on their on their channels on their platforms. So you create a real expert status through using video. Now that's why it's again so important to then also create that status because you're not going to create expert status with shoulders hanging like this and 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 feeling nervous and feeling a bit crap. I can do lots of videos like that, not looking into the camera and saying my things and not having proper diction and just doing my best because I, I really, I'm, I'm really, I'm really good at what I do, right? So I'm just going to share a bit with you about it. People don't want to hear it. If you want to create this expert status, you need to bring across some traits that experts have. And one is they know what they're talking about. Therefore, of course, they're relaxed. Why wouldn't they be? Well, I can tell you why they wouldn't be. It's because they're in front of a camera and they don't know that part. But, but I'm expecting you to be relaxed to have a straight posture for your voice to sound good and to resonate so that I'm sitting there and going, yes, uh-huh, you do know what you're talking about. There's a certain confidence that comes with true expertise. And there's also a congruence that comes with it as well. If your voice is saying one thing or the words you're saying says one thing, but you come across as being less than fully confident and comfortable in your own skin, then the odds are... No matter how expert you are in your field, people will discount it. What you have to remember is that you are dealing with living, breathing, mostly sentient human beings. And they have, they're judgmental. We all judge. And they're going to judge you from the minute they see you appear on camera. They're going to judge the setup. They're going to judge what you're wearing, the tone of your voice the speed with which you're speaking, the volume, the confidence that you project. And what we forget is that the majority of communication is non-verbal in terms of the meaning that's conveyed. So let's take a couple of minutes then in terms of looking at the setup, the background, the set, where you position yourself, the environment, 
all of that kind of stuff in terms of how you project the message that you intend to project rather than the one that you might end up inadvertently projecting. Love it. Well, Marcus, given that that's exactly what we've been working with you in your videos, let me turn this around on you and ask you, what have you noticed about the differences that we've used for your setups with the new videos versus the old ones that you've done? Okay. The first thing is having a relevant and clean background that sends a subconscious message to the audience in terms of what it is that you're offering and how you're relevant. So, for example, in the last series of videos, we had a clean bookshelf made up of lots of cubes with a couple of plants and samples of my book and other Sander products. It wasn't overly cluttered, wasn't overly fabricated, but drew the eye in, made me the center of attention and allowed people to focus on my message. But it also sent a subconscious message. Certainly the feedback that I've had is that people really love those videos. They find them refreshing. It feels like I've stepped my game up. And that's partly down to the setup, what I wore in terms of a white shirt rather than a blue shirt. It was cleaner looking. And the preparation, slowing right down, giving less content per video, not worrying about getting the whole message out there. I think withholding information was a really important lesson. And I, I did a stand-up comedy course over the uh, last summer. And the best lesson I learned from that was constraint. It was say less and the jokes are funnier. When you're storytelling, I think get rid of all the extraneous detail, whether it's in the set, whether it's in your content. Um, get advice. I, again, I, I'm okay in front of a camera on my own, and I can normally churn some stuff out, but I'd score myself about three and a half to four out of 10, which suggests that what okay is, isn't very good. And with the right kind of direction and help. So I worked with Evelyn and also with Mark Harmon on that last uh, set of videos. And working together, controlling the set, controlling the lighting, directing me, that made a vast improvement. Spending an hour and a half beforehand doing the warm-up exercises, Evelyn getting my shoulders to loosen up, made a huge difference. Just go to my video series on blind spots and compare that with some of my earlier videos and listen to the resonance of the voice. Pay attention to the difference in the quality of the background, to the subtleties of lighting. And I think you'll notice that there is a substantial improvement. And if you don't, then please write to me and then I'll send after a refund. Good luck. <laughs> That's the spirit. All in full and final settlement. So have you got anything else to add? I think that was very well um, summarized. Now, if we talk about background. The importance was here to really represent what you're about, and that was clean expertise, knowledge, clarity. And because you're quite, you're sharp and a bit prickly, that's why I wanted the cacti in there. But, you know, <laughs> it just has this little, oh, I see. The white shirt worked because we had the color white uh, in the shelf as well. And also the books have a lot of white. So when you have color repetition, that can really work. That's in terms of the background. In terms, you've said something really important. The collaboration with Mark Harmon and myself worked very well for you because, A, you have a professional recording you, 
So you can do videos by yourself using your phone and your home equipment. That's absolutely fine. And I think it's great for your general content production. And if you want to up your game, it's a good idea to work with a professional filmmaker like, like Mark. What people often they just hire a production team and think the production team will create the magic for them. They often end up very disappointed and throwing a lot of money down the drain because they can't do for you what you are not bringing to the table. But if they bring that stuff to the table, then it adds to the magic. So when Mark and I work together, he does his magic of having very high quality um, filming. He, of course, has good lighting and he makes sure that your sound is great. And then I made sure that, the, that I could direct a moment. We could polish some of the, of the content pieces, add a callback in that's like huge content at the end to what you said at the beginning to make something feel round. I can see whether shoulders are going up or down. I can see whether voice is starting to lose. And so we could adjust these things in the moment. And that was, of course, fantastic. But that works much better when you've had training before. If that's the first time you hear someone adjusting you and you are filming, it would just add stress. I know the films worked because my biggest critic is my wife and my children, and they actually like them. Wow. So there we go. The other piece that I think is really important about you working with a professional videographer and someone who will help you in terms of your performance is that even if you mess up, then you can edit it. And I think this is really important as well. It doesn't have to be one take. And a really good tip is to have two cameras because if you're videoing from a number of different, or from a couple of different angles, then you can interchange. And if you don't happen to have done a particularly good face-to-camera shot, then one from the side may well work well. That was an awful lot of things. And making sure that you take a few takes to give the editor some more flexibility. Because remember, this content can be skinned in many different ways. My pal, Rian Lanigan, always talks about skinning the cat. And this is taking a raw piece of video content and turning it into an audio file, transcripting all of that into a written piece, using it as short videos, short audios, a long blog, short posts, You can use it as a PR piece. You can use it in terms of an email. There are loads of different ways that you can make your content go a lot further. And if you start with video, you have more richness and more ways of utilizing it so that you can make every pound that you spend on your marketing go a lot further. So, Evelyn, in terms of how people should be using video, the particular context in which they should use them. There's obviously the uh, positioning the self as an expert. How else do you suggest people use video? I don't think there's any limits to the usage of video. And you've just very well described how when you start with video as the core of your content creation, everything else falls off that because the script is your blog, the audio is your podcast, The video is your marketing uh, piece on various platforms. You've got LinkedIn, you've got YouTube, you've got Facebook, you've got, you can build your audiences on so many platforms now relatively easily, actually. So it allows you a very widespread. Now, what kind of videos can you use? You can use the videos to position yourself as an expert, as we've discussed. You can use videos as a sales letter. What used to be the traditional sales letter can now be very well um, created in video and it works fantastic. 
So you can use it as an informative piece. You can do an edutational piece. You can do a webinar. Everything nowadays has videos. In fact, this podcast is created as a video. Your client sessions are often now via video. People don't even realize that. But when you have a coaching session or consultation with someone and you're using your Skype or your Zoom, that's video. So you need to know how to come across over the lens if you want to be the person perceived as worthy of attracting the fees that you're demanding. So even in a one-to-one call, I will argue it's a good idea that you use your lighting and your background and think about what it is that you're conveying. So there is no end, really. It's, it's everything from client creation to fulfillment to advertising, marketing, advertising, sales. The whole thing is video. Tomorrow, I'm interviewing the author Mike Adams uh, uh, from The Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell. And he's got seven particular story themes. So there's the personal story, the key staff story, the company creation story, insight stories, success stories, value stories, and teaching stories. Now, one of our most successful videos, in fact, two of them, were the Thank You, Mr. Prospect, and the video on authentic selling, which were really both values videos, uh, value stories. Probably the single most successful use of video content that I've had was my daughter, Anna, making the cold call. And the second most successful was her selling me on buying her a dog. And those were both examples of teaching stories. Incredibly powerful, and I think much underused. I think people tend to be one-track mind, which is they want to talk about their company, they want to talk about their products, they want to talk about their area of expertise. I think what's really important, and Mike makes this point, that you should be the Sherpa and your customer should be the hero in any stories. And certainly in this, what's been really interesting is working with you, Evelyn. You put me at the center of my own videos. But without that guidance, I think I would have found it much, much harder. And in a very short space of time, I've got a much better understanding of what it's like to be on the receiving end, being on the viewing end of the lens when it's me. I think when I observe other people, it's relatively straightforward to be the critic. But when you're emotionally involved, it's very difficult to let go of that. And having someone who's objective but is on your side has really made a huge difference to me. Can you give a couple of examples of the impact that the work you've had has had on some of your other clients? Mm, yes, well, there was so much in what you just said. So the impact of the work on other clients, the range that I get to work with is huge because I work on the people who need to work use video because they haven't yet. So they're established professionals, but they haven't used and mastered the video piece yet to people who are actually really good on camera and want to up their game. Because you see, the mastery is a path. It's not a destination. So no matter where you are on the video game, I have somewhere where I can help you progress your game. So the impact obviously is going to be different. I've had people who've never done video, didn't dare to do video. And it's a big thing if you are an expert in your field and you have a high standard and people have a perception of you and you know that, When you then step, or are meant to step in from the camera, you know you need to fulfill that expectation, but you don't know how to be in from the camera. The gap is so big, the shame thing sets in, you don't want to talk about it, everything gets awkward. Most people just never start. So the impact of my work is that those people 
will not only start, they will start with confidence. Because one of the things I will not allow to happen is for someone who is great to be shit on camera, <laughs> not on my watch. And that's a big difference you have. Although your audience will never know because they didn't know you had all these troubles. They just see you great on camera and go, oh, that's unnatural. Ah, oh, you're so lovely. You can just do this camera. It's like, well, thank you. So on the other side of the spectrum, I've worked with someone who's very confident, actually works in the field of sexual education. So very confident man who knows how to be in front of the camera. And I've helped him up his game. And what he loved was how much more calm and authentic he could be and get to the point much quicker with my help. Because he's used to speaking freely to people. He's very confident. And you'll find that people who are confident speakers, uh, whether in the, in the boardroom or on stage or on camera, there can always, there can be an element of still hiding. I call that, we call this hiding in a spotlight. So I have this too. I can be confident or look confident, but be really nervous inside. When we did the work, he actually became confident in the sense that he was feeling the calm. He knew what his point really was, and he could just bring it across so directly. The power of his communication went really high. I think the power of authenticity is it's almost unparalleled. If someone is being genuine and they're being fully themselves and they're allowed to uh, or enabling themselves to express themselves freely, it sends a completely different message to someone who's tight and they're frust- you know, uncomfortable in front of the camera. And here is the crux of video. So we want someone to be free and authentic and genuine, but then being on video is an artificial synthetic situation. It's not an authentic, real, emerging in the moment situation, especially when you make a video for business purposes. You only have three to five minutes maximum to bring across something really important. In a normal conversation, you have more time. So become that authentic and genuine and so to the point when the camera is on. That is the art that we're working on. Now you get me excited. I'm like, yes, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Just at the point we're coming to the end of our time together. <laughs> Always leave on a peak. So tell me this then. If you were looking back to your 25-year-old self and you were advising the younger Evelyn on stuff that she might find useful in her life as a performer in front of the camera, what tip or advice would you give her? 25. Oh my gosh, I was so all over the place and full of energy. The tip I would give her is be wild and make fun of yourself. Make fun of yourself. Do not take yourself seriously. You'll find all these things that you're embarrassed about. Look at them and make fun of them. That's going to help you free you up. I think that's a really good bit of advice, that personal vulnerability, but also in terms of the type of content that one can produce, I reckon a showreel might have a few bloopers in there because they can be very funny. I mean, we had a, such a laugh when we were making those videos, almost hoping that Mark's managed to destroy some of the evidence, but don't be afraid to mess up. Oh, no, it's fun. It demonstrates your humanity and self-deprecating humor is way funnier than you taking a pop or judging someone else. So that's really fantastic advice. Okay, who do you read? What videos or channels do you watch when it comes to this area of performing well on video? Now, a lot of my experience about performing is 
experiential and from the theater world. So it's not something that I've intellectually studied too much, but I've worked with James Labors, who is very well known for selling on camera because his expertise is, uh, he comes from the shopping channel world. So he's somebody I would watch and I've also worked with. What I read and watch right now quite intensively is Brené Brown because she's a shame researcher and she works a lot with vulnerability and shame. And I think that's such a core message to bring out to the world, but also really helps everyone to free themselves in front of the camera. And lastly, Debbie Ford would have been would have been on my list. Again, it's not directly related, but it is related. It's all about looking at you know, it, her book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. But the point being is to look at those places that feel uncomfortable in yourself and bring them up so that you don't have to compensate for them when you're seen. And to up your willingness to be seen as a human. I think those are great tips. Other ones that I would suggest, there's uh, Paul Lanigan's book, Soft Tales and Hard Asses, is a good one around storytelling. Steve Denning's books on storytelling, so Squirrel Inc. is a really good one. And Mike Adams' The Seven Stories Every Salesperson Should Tell. Those are all good books. Cannot stress how good Brene Brown is in terms of vulnerability and shame, but also in terms of rising proud, being confident in yourself. Because the flip side of uh, shame and vulnerability is also confidence and being uh, happy and comfortable in your own skin. You can't look at one without the other. And I think another one that would be really interesting is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's not a great book when it comes to video, but recognizing that finding purpose is really important. And people who speak to camera with a purpose invariably will outperform people who come to it without a purpose. And if their purpose is purely selfish, I think that comes across as well. So look at the bigger picture. What, what's your motive? What's the cause behind you? How did you get here? What's your intent in terms of how you intend to help? Evelyn, any final bits of advice there that you'd like to pass on to the audience? I love what we just touched on now with the piece of service, because again, this is where video is such an interesting format. I am the one on camera. I'm the one that's seen. I'm the one that has to deal with my nerves, but it isn't about me. And this is, this is amazing. And this is liberating. You don't make it about yourself but you make it about your potential clients or just see there's other humans that you can help because you have what they need. Like you have the bottle of water and they are in the desert. If you approach your content creation and your video creation in particular from that space of helping people, serving people, adding actual value to them, then the whole thing becomes really beautiful and it takes you out of this easy to fall in narcissistic trap Hello, it's me. I'm an expert in this. And I'm going to share you with you what I know. Right? I think that point's really well made. Certainly you found it that people already feel like they know you. When I go to the States and I go to our client conference, there are 1,300 people there. And I have one person after another come up. I've seen your videos. Love them, love them, love them. Now, I don't know these people from Adam. But what it's done is create awareness and familiarity. And if you're trying to sell, that comfort is really important. If they already feel like they know you, then you have just one less hurdle to get over. 
you're no longer dealing with cold leads. They will be warm to hot leads to start with. And that is a huge advantage over everyone else that you get. Absolutely. And what we've been able to do with a combination of video, audio, podcast, content is create a steady stream of business. We're already 12.5% up on last year. By the time we're done this year, I expect to be about 20 to 25% up on last year from business that we generated through social media, using content, leading with video, then following up with written content and audio. Um, From the video or separate written content? Both. I produce these podcasts. They're all typically audio-based. The video is normally me speaking to camera, but then editing stuff in and using that to then spark an entire series of content. So for example, I'm doing, I've done this series on blind spots. That's then opened up a whole raft of other bits of content. So for example, a pain questionnaire or an audit being developed off the back of that. Being able to create a special program, specifically a one-day program around dealing with these blind spots. It feeds into another program, which is a a 12-month cycle called Organizational Excellence, and using that content as a feeder for that. But then off the back of those classes, using those to feed the next set of videos, the next set of audios, it's incredibly powerful. And you never run out of ideas. I, I don't understand how someone can end up with writer's block if you have good content. And all you have to do is keep asking yourself, well, why does that matter? Why is it important? Who cares? So what? And keep asking yourself questions, because that's certainly how I produce content. It's always about thinking about the questions my audience is likely to be asking, and then coming up with enough of an answer so that they get derived value, but also not so much that they no longer think that they have to connect with me. Beautiful. And that, yeah, I like that. And that also leads to the point you were making earlier that when you do video content, less is more. You don't want to overwhelm people with all that knowledge and information. You then cut it down to one to three points per video. Absolutely. On that very good bit of advice, that's Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast. Evelyn Brink, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. For those of you listening, please get in contact with Evelyn. How can they get hold of you? Oh, hold of me. Well, you can get in contact, of course, via email. It's info at brinkcoaching.com. Brink as an on the brink of madness, B-R-I-N-K, coaching.com. Info at brinkcoaching.com. And Evelyn's also on LinkedIn and she produces videos. So look her up and also look her up as Madonna because I know that she desperately wants to be remembered for that. Thanks very much for listening. Take care. (laughs) Speak to you soon. Um, Bye-bye.